Let's pray. Father, we have a few minutes. I pray your blessing upon this time. Thank you so much for the things that we have shared. That has been part of the worship service because we are so thankful to you for how you have structured life and particularly the family and particularly the need for both a mother and a father. And uh, the mothers that we have, we are very, very thankful for. And uh, as I have been saying earlier, I'm thankful both for my mother and for Elaine and I've seen the value of them and I appreciate very much your plan and your structure for uh, life and for society. I pray that you'll help us to learn the lessons that we need to learn and how we can contribute more effectively to the lives of those that we touch and that Jesus Christ would reign supreme in that relationship and in that environment and in our influence would be felt by others to bring glory to his name. Pray for this time this morning as we are looking at the Apostle Paul and uh, his facing the imminent or the soon to be imminent death and uh, some of the things that are crossing his mind. And I pray you'll bless this time. And I ask it in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. These are sort of like the last words. I, can't, I guess we place a, a greater value when somebody is has something to say just before they die. And the last words, their final words carry weight and uh, that they are very important. And Paul is doing that here in this text. Uh, I'm going to read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Paul is writing Timothy, and we have the privilege of sort of sitting or looking over his shoulder to see what he's saying to Timothy. And in doing that, we want to reflect also on what it has to say to us about our lives as well. Paul writes, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What Paul is doing here, and I guess that's, that's kind of true of all of us, if you're facing um, death, or know that you're going to be facing death, and all of us will, um, we'll, eventually we'll go to the doctor and we'll hear some words that we don't want to hear, or whatever, that we have a brain tumor, or that we have diabetes, or whatever, that we're going to face death. Uh, coming up, and, and we all are. We know that's going to happen. When you do, you start thinking, and uh, that, that's kind of what Paul starts with here at the beginning. He looks around, first of all, at the present circumstances and faces the reality. Uh, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. We look at the circumstances and what's going on there. Then he looks back over his life, and uh, he looks back and says, I'm, I, uh, have fought a good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. And he looks back over what he's, how he's lived and what his, how his life has been impacted. And then after doing that, and he looks forward and uh, looks at what's going to happen in the future. Um, he reads, we read, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. So there's three, if you will, visions or scenarios that he looks at. And first, we looked last week at the present. He says, I am already being poured out. 
as a drink offering. Remember, we talked about the offering system, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the drink offering. And um, basically, what Paul is saying is the value of the drink offering was poured on the hot this offering, and it gave off an aroma, a steam, and it was a very pleasant aroma. And it was a way of taking something that was valuable and pouring it out as a sacrifice to God. And Paul is saying, in that similar vein, I, in my life, I'm giving myself as a sacrifice. I'm being poured out as a drink offering unto God. Uh, and my life is that, that offering and that, that sacrifice. We've been looking this morning and talking about mothers. And uh, they, I, I couldn't help but think about that topic as we were doing that because mothers are those who in fact give themselves sacrificially to the welfare of the family and to uh, taking care of the husband and things at home. And we're, of course, in a day in which being a mother is belittled a bit sometimes, and we are exalting women who are becoming CEOs and presidents and other things like that. But I would like to say here publicly and over the system, the, the PA system, there's nothing that is any more important and higher um, impact than being a mother, a good mother, and a godly wife. That's very important. And uh, sometimes we belittle it, but that's God's standard, and that's a very important standard. That's not to say that women can't work outside the home. It's not saying that women can't be CEOs, and there are a lot of them, and a lot of them have done a good job. But it is saying that the job of being a good wife and a good mother is a top priority. You don't want to, you don't want to neglect that for something lesser. And so that's very important. And so here's Paul sitting in this cell, and um, we looked at his impact of his life. And I finished up last week by just asking you, to whom are you indebted? We saw that we, Paul, this great man, we are all indebted to him. The church is indebted to him. He has had a massive, massive impact on, on life, on the world, and on the church. And uh, here is this, this great man in the jail cell, chained, forsaken by friends, and um, soon, perhaps, to suffer his very uncomfortable set of circumstances. He is being treated as a criminal, and yet he's not a criminal. His crime is, is proclaiming God's word and following Jesus and trying to help the church grow. That's not a crime. That's a good thing. And yet he's in prison and going to die for that very thing. He's dying as a prisoner, if you will, of Christ. And um, so we're indebted to him. And I asked that question, and, and, and it is, we talked about it, about the sacrifice this morning. We talked about the importance of sacrifice, of recognizing there's not going to be growth without sacrifice. The, the path that, that goes to glory leads to the cross. I think that's a good statement. It's a good, good idea, good truth. And uh, it is true with all of us. And so uh, we appreciate people like Paul, and I just challenge you and challenge me um, to really be willing to face. The, the difficulties of life, the commitment to Christ, put him first, look, be a Luke 14 disciple, which means no man can be my disciple who does not hate his mother, father, wife, sister, brother. That doesn't mean hate him. That means put Jesus first. Put him first. And uh, let him be the Lord of your life. And so that's number one. Paul looks around at his circumstances, and uh, he recognizes that, um, that he's going to be soon refacing the... the uh, the Roman, the guillotine, if you will, the Roman sword cutting off his head. I being poured out as a drink off the time of my departure has come. Secondly, he looks back. This is new territory now. Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course, or finished the course, I've kept the faith. Now, in this section here, um, Paul kind of covers 
very quickly three, I don't know if I'd say metaphors maybe, but three examples of service or ministry or living or whatever. First of all is that of the Greek wrestler. He says, I have fought a good fight. That term, and we'll look at it in a minute, has to do with competition and the competition with an adversary and the Greek games uh, contain that and that is probably what he's referring to. Then also the Greek runner, I have finished the course. That would be the course of running. That's also as an athletic term. And I have finished that course. And then the third is that of a soldier I've guarded or kept the faith. Those three things he looks at. Paul likes to use his illustrations and it kind of, it helps to clarify it in your mind when you see that. And so let's look at the first one. He says, I have fought a good fight. Uh, the word that he uses, agomizia, ag agonizomai, which means to, we get the word agony from that same word, and it's a, it means to contend, I uh, have contended, uh, means to strive, particularly with an adversary or against an adversary. Um, it came to be referred to with the games, the Greek games. Um, let me just give you a couple of verses to show that. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul writes, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, right? That, those English words, who competes in the games, is a translation of the one Greek word, agonizomai, the word that we're looking at here. It's a translation of that one word, and so you could translate that everyone uh, who fights or everyone who contends exercises self-control but the writers knew what he was trying to say was that this is a athletic competition. So they translate that everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. So what's the point? The point is I'm just trying to show you that the word is relates to that competition. It's not always just competition. In fact, when Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate asked him about, are you a king? And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so they would not be handed over to the Jews. When he, the phrase would be fighting is the same word. And there, it's not necessarily translated games, it's just a struggle like by followers would be fighting or contending with this adversary to, to try to free me. And so it has to do with contention, has to do with struggle, and has to do with the battle. And so Paul is saying here, I have fought a good fight, I have struggled a good fight, I have, I have competed. The second the two words in there, by the way, notice the word fought and the word fight. I have fought a good fight. The second word, the word fight, is a, is a translation of argon, from which also the word agony would be derived eventually. It's, it's, it's a related word. And that is a word that um, comes, it has to do with the contest. It's used in the Greek athletics of a contest in the, Greeks, the Greek stadium where the games were held. This is according to Weist. And uh, so here's Paul using these two terms to describe his life as a contest, as a struggle. And uh, that he is, he is saying, I have had this contest, I've had this struggle. Notice also the word good in there. I have fought a good fight in the athletic, in the contest there. Um, I don't know, I like to watch football, my son likes to watch soccer. But when you see a play like, well, 
who's a, who's a, who's a, we have players that play that are really good. They're very talented and you like to watch them. In fact, some players are so good that they by themselves almost will fill a stadium with people who come and watch them want to play. They just want to see them play. They play well. And kind of that's what Paul is saying here. I have fought a good fight. Uh, my, my life, my, the, the way that I have ministered has been that which is not good morally, but good aesthetically. It is a good, it is beautiful to behold. It is attractive to see. It is, um, it is encouraging to look how, at how well and how uh, attractively you have lived and you have performed and you have com competed. You have, have uh, given yourself to the ministry. It describes a struggle that is a good fight. The Weiss says that Paul uses, the word Paul uses to describe his struggle refers to the external goodness as seen by the eye, that which is the expression of the internal intrinsic goodness. It is goodness that is not moral but aesthetic, a beauty of action that would characterize either the Greek wrestlers' efforts or the Christians' warfare against evil. These are battles, they are examples perhaps of godly integrity and of applying biblical wisdom to life. Um, they illustrate proper aesthetic application and completion, if you will, competition, if you will, against the enemy. And the enemy would be the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, these things like that. So this is that competition. Um, Paul writes to Timothy and he talks about in, in the first Timothy 4.10, a battle against the flesh. He says, for this we labor and strive, for we have, and I want you to listen to this, we have fixed our hope on the living God. This means something that, that Paul has, has himself in, determined to do. I have fixed my hope, determined that I'm going to, to faithfully pursue the living God. I fixed my hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. This is, a, this is a, a point that he describes as we have labored and strived for this. We labor and strive fixing our hope on the living God. So there's work involved. There is a, there's almost like an internal battle. Have you found that out in your Christian life? That there's a warfare, there's a struggle, there's a competition. Um, First John says, and this is one that, that I struggle with to this day, First John says, do not love or actually stop loving the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away. Also, it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So it's a, there, there is that struggle, isn't it? There is that battle that takes place. There is that warfare. Um, Paul says in Colossians, um, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your affections or your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, where you've died. That's hard to do. It, it doesn't happen easy. I remember my son, I told you this the other day, my son one time said, when I get, come time to die, I'm not going to lay down, I'll stand up so I won't die. Well, my flesh doesn't lay down. It doesn't want to lay down. It wants to maintain. It wants to stay standing. And yet we are crucified with Christ. If we come to Christ, we die to self. 
and we live to him. You understand that? That's, that's really important. It's hard to understand sometimes, but it's true. Set your mind, that speaks of activity, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That'll be a day we are revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And then you also once walked when you were being when you were living in them. But now, ah, now you also put them all aside. Here is this battle again, this activity. Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. You see, these things come naturally. So we struggle with these things. Do not lie to one another since you have. There's this activity, lay aside the old self, that takes effort, and that takes dying to self. Lay aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self who is being renewed to a true, full knowledge according to the image of the one who created. So Paul is talking about dying, the battle, the warfare, the competition that takes place. First uh, Timothy chapter 1 says, you fight the good fight, keeping the faith and a good conscience, fight the good fight of faith. Um, in uh, Luke 4, 13, 24, uh, the Lord talks about striving to enter through the narrow gate, the narrow gate, that is a pressure point. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He tells us in Luke 14 to count the cost. Uh, he's, the Lord says he's going to be first. We need to count the cost. We need to understand that. That's really important. In Colossians, Paul talking about the ministry. He says, we proclaim him. He's talking about Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, this, this purpose, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works with me. Now, wait a minute. If I'm laboring and striving, then I'm doing it in my strength, right? How come his power is involved? But if I, if it's his power, then why am I laboring or striving? It looks like it's either be one or the other, but not. It's, it's actually both, because we cooperate with him and we struggle with him at the same time. And there are many times when the when when the Lord directs me in a certain way and I kind of want to resist and yet his power and his strength will enable me to obey and I want to do that. You see, there's that working together with the Lord. We labor and we strive, but it's in his power and his strength and according to his power and his strength. And that's part of that warfare that takes place within us so that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and against the forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places. Therefore, Paul tells Timothy to take up the full armor so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. The armor is what is used in competition and battle and warfare. There is a battle, there is a warfare, there's that struggle going on with us. We all have it. One more thing, and I'll have to stop here because I'm going to be out of time. One more thing about this. This 
is in the tense. This is in is in the perfect tense. All three of these sentences dealing with the wrestler, the runner, and the soldier are in the perfect tense. What is the perfect tense? In the Greek, it speaks of an action that is completed, but it has lingering results. And I'll give you an illustration of that. And I use this illustration all the time because it's really a good one. But when Jesus talked about the scriptures and he said, it is written, that's in the perfect tense. And what that means is that the writing of the scripture is finished. The ink is dry. It's on the paper. You can look at it. You can smell it. You can do anything you want. It's finished. But the effect of that is still lingering on. The power of that is still lingering on. The application of that still applies. We are still held accountable to something that on the paper is finished, but its application is still lingering. You see that? So Paul is saying that here. He's saying his life as the rest of the competition, uh, the the, uh, struggles that he went through, all of these things, while they are now uh, done, they're going to be finished. The effect of that, the application of that, the influence of his life in that competition is going on and on and on. And I would suggest that that's true in your life as well. That the impact of your life, the faithfulness of your life, the walk that you have with Jesus Christ is not, it, it may come and go and you may do some things that you may think are gone forever, but they're not gone. And the impact will have an effect in some way to other people at other times. Do you understand that? We were talking about, this is a good Sunday for that because we're talking about mothers and the impact. We're talking about Elaine, we're talking about Diana, we're talking about Joni, we're talking about uh, uh, your grandmother and, and Rick's mom. Their lives, they gave themselves, they disciplined themselves, they were faithful in, in applying uh, many truths to their lives. The impact of that and the influence of that still lingers on like ripples. Those ripples keep going out, and they keep bearing fruit in the lives of other people. God knows what he's doing, and he's allowed us to be part of his kingdom and part of his work. So that's the first one. I'm going to stop there, but we're going to come back next time to talk about finishing the course and uh, the guarding of the faith. But this is this is important stuff, and uh, it's important for us to see the effect not only that Paul can have, but that or Paul had, but that you can have as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these few moments that we can look. We sort of rush through this, but it's really important. And uh, I, I really thank you for your word and the power of your word and the effect that your word can have on us. Help us and help me to put myself honestly and fully before you and under your word, so that we don't look down on your word to judge it, but that rather we are under it, and it judges us, and it directs us, and it controls us. Help us to be careful how we live, how we compete, how we fight, what we do, because we know that that can bear fruit in other people's lives, and we can have influence in other people's lives for good or for bad. Help us not to be careless about this, but to be careful. And uh, help us to control not only our actions, but our words. That Jesus Christ would be honored in us and through us. And I pray this in his name with thanksgiving.